You're listening to episode number 91 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. Welcome to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. The only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. From Joes to pros, we've got the tools to make your cycling goals a reality. And now here's your host, Coach Rob Manning. Welcome to episode number 91 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. I'm your host, Coach Rob, and I've got a great show for you today where we're going to talk about making the most of your indoor cycling training. But before we get started, I've got a couple of quick announcements here for you. The Tailwind Coaching website, the blog, the online training plan store, and the episode show notes receptacle is available at tailwind-coaching.com. If you want to get announcements for new posts, uh, Coupon codes, training tips, the occasional thing in your inbox, head on over to tailwind-coaching.com slash sign up and you can sign up for the Tailwind Coaching newsletter. It's a great way to make sure you don't miss any of my new content. Also, don't forget to head on over to iTunes, rate the Tailwind Coaching podcast five stars. There's a link in the episode show notes at tailwind-coaching.com slash 91. Moving up in those ranks is really important. It helps get this message out there. It gets the information out to more people. And the more five-star ratings we have, the more people can actually get this information and enjoy riding their bike a little bit more, which is what the Tailwind Coaching Podcast was all about. It's what it was made for. Now, if you need to get a hold of me, you want to ask me questions, you have questions about your own training or something about I'm talking about today, you can find me at coachrobdc at gmail.com. CoachRobDC at tailwind-coaching.com, or you can follow me on the website. If you head over to the website and you look on the upper left-hand corner, you'll find a couple of different ways that you can follow me on Strava, on Twitter, on Facebook, and things like that. If you want to give back to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, consider doing some of your Amazon shopping uh, through one of my affiliate links. Uh, if you want to find those, tailwind-coaching.com resources, and that'll help you... Um, that you can find some links there. There's really no cost to you, and it helps to support hosting bandwidth costs and things like that and keep the Tailwind Coaching Podcast free. And of course, for those of you who are longtime listeners, you will know if you want to take 10% off of any of my downloadable online training plans, you can get 10% off using the discount code PODCAST10 at checkout. All right. Now, with those out of the way, let's see. What are we talking about today? We're talking about the appeal, I'm sorry, the making the most out of your indoor cycling training, the appeal of indoor cycling training, and ways you can get more out of riding indoors. Now, I know a lot of you here who are in the Northern Hemisphere are listening to this podcast probably when it comes out. Uh, it's probably going to come out the end of September here. And, well, I know it's going to come out the end of September, but you're probably listening to it and you're going, but coach, what what are we talking about indoor training for? It's only September. It's nice outside. I'm looking out the door right now. It's sunny. It's breezy. It's maybe 70 degrees. It's beautiful outside right now. Why would I think about indoor training at this point? Well, there's two things to this. Number one, days are getting shorter. The solstice is here and gone. <clears throat> it's not the solstice. The equinox is here and gone. <laughs> I'm getting my my uh, my terms mixed up here. I'm getting confused in terms of what's going on here. Um, the equinox is here and gone. Days are going to continue to get shorter all the way through December, but there's still time to ride outside. 
However, even though there's still time to ride outside, you might be getting tired, you may have had a long season, you may already have rested, you may be training for cyclocross. However, with all those things in force, you can still get a great workout in a real short period of time indoors. Now, I know most people hate riding inside. It's not really fun. You know, sitting in your basement, sitting in your garage, staring at a brick wall while you run through intervals is not necessarily my idea of fun. However, I do know for a fact that I can get a substantially better workout in an hour inside than I can get outside in the same time. So let's explore how we can use that indoor trainer to significantly boost our fitness, whether it's the fall, whether you're taking this information and moving it out through the winter months, or whether it's the spring and summer and you're just trying to add to your current training load. So what's the best part about indoor cycling? One of the biggest appeals of an indoor cycling environment is being able to control that environment. The nice thing about being indoors is the fact that you're indoors. You are not beholden to wind, temperature, rain, uh, wind direction, pavement condition, road condition, drivers, other riders, pedestrians, animals, things like that you are able to control almost every single aspect of your training and your training time. That means temperature, resistance, humidity, airflow. Those are all very precisely controllable parameters that you can have inside versus outside. You have the ability, just by being inside, of creating an infinitely repeatable training space and an infinitely repeatable training condition. So... The idea here is if you are training under the same circumstances every day, you're training under similar humidity, similar airflow, uh, similar trainer resistance, similar temperatures. Because of that, now you can get a more specific, more effective workout. There's another point to this too. By controlling your environment, you really get a good sense of how your body is feeling. If you're training indoors and your legs feel crappy, it's generally because your legs are feeling crappy and you're pretty tired. Sometimes just going outside, you go outside and maybe it's a little bit colder than you're used to, or maybe the air is a little bit drier and it's really bothering your throat and your lungs. That can lead you to having, quote, crappy legs. It may not be a case that your legs suck that day. It may be a case that your body's just not used to the conditions you're riding in right? It's not because of heat. It's not because of humidity. It's not other, any other factor. It's just the fact that your legs are tired when you're indoors, right? So that's a pretty handy tool to have. So what, what do we want to do about controlling our environment so that we can really get the most out of our indoor workouts? Well, you really want to have a consistent control over two things primarily, and that's going to be temperature, and that's also going to be airflow, all right? So you're going to have to consider using some kind of heating or cooling devices, whether it's an air conditioner, whether it's, um, you know, a portable space heater. If you're training in a garage, that tends to be really cool. You're going to have to have some kind of climate control. Airflow is the next biggest part of this equation. The faster your body heats up and the more it heats up, the more it's going to suffer in terms of 
being able to put out physiological power, good power. So as our body temperature rises to a beyond a certain point, we tend to have a decreased power output. Think about those really warm, humid summer days. You go outside, you start out your ride, you're feeling really good, right? You're, gonna, you're putting out good power, your speed is good, you're feeling solid and stable on the bike. Maybe an hour and a half in, suddenly you're, you're sweating profusely, your legs feel heavy, you're starting to feel a little bit goofy in the head. You know, that's, that's a sign that heat is starting to take effect, right? Climbs that you usually dance up or scamper up, whatever you want to call it, suddenly are grinders. Those one, two, three percent grades that normally you're going to have no problem with, suddenly you're, you're struggling. That's the effect of heat and humidity on your body, right? So a fan indoors is an excellent tool to be able to provide airflow. Airflow creates evaporative cooling. Evaporative cooling keeps your body cool. Combine that with maintaining a constant set temperature in your training space, and suddenly you have the recipe for a very con tightly controlled set of constraints. When it comes to training, when it comes to working out indoors, whether you're riding on the trainer, whether you're lifting, whether you're doing core stability training, always, always, always note in your training log things like temperature, what kind of fan you use. So if you use more than one fan, make sure you use the same one every time. Those two other, a couple of other options that I mentioned earlier, trainer resistance, humidity, Humidity is a little bit tougher to manage. It's a little bit tougher to record. Sometimes people have those indoor weather stations. You can use those. But try to keep your humidity as about as similar as possible. The way you do this is maintain a set temperature in your training space, which will tend to keep humidity in a certain band, right? The other thing you want to do and keep a log of, along with your training, your intervals and things like that, is going to be your trainer resistance. This is incredibly important compared to, well, it's incredibly important if you have an adjustable trainer, which a lot of folks do nowadays. Now, for example, if you can change the resistance on your trainer from say one to five, day one of your training, you're putting it on resistance three, day two of your training, you're putting on resistance five, and then you're saying, oh my God, it was such a hard day, my legs must be shot. No, you're changing the resistance on your trainer that doesn't necessarily mean that your legs aren't feeling good or that you're not gaining power. It means that you're changing the resist resistance on your trainer. So if you have an adjustable trainer, make sure that you are keeping a log of trainer resistance. So if you're doing a specific workout, you can match the trainer resistance for that workout to a similar trainer resistance from a previous workout. And again, you have as many factors as common or factors in common as possible. And that's actually going to be a key to having repeatable functional training and repeatable training that actually gets you somewhere. So the big point here, the reason you want to train indoors is because you can set an environment that has repeatability to it. The more repeatable the environment, the more specific the intervals get. And the more specific the intervals get, the better the return on investment. So now, talking about specificity in your training, let's figure out why indoor training is almost sometimes better than outdoor training. Get a little sip of my coffee here and 
get on to specificity of indoor training, which is one of the biggest factors in terms of working out and training indoors. Because you're sitting on a trainer, you're not, again, beholden to wind speeds, temperature, outdoor conditions, rain, uh, other riders, cars, terrain changes, uh, road surface changes, animals, what have you. Because you're not beholden to any of those factors, the trainer is a great place to plan precise workouts to attack certain portions of your physiology. Okay, you can really, really drill down into very, very specific intervals and very specific durations. And those drill down intervals really help to attack specific portions of your physiology that may be lacking. So, for example, you can do VO2 max intervals outdoors. In fact, I've advocated doing VO2 max intervals outdoors for a long, long, long time. I've done plenty of posts on doing VO2 max intervals outdoors and planning routes so that you can get VO2 max training. However, there's always going to be some variation and variability in the intensity and the duration of those intervals. So outdoors, you really have to find terrain that will allow you to do an interval of approximately the correct length and approximately the correct intensity. So this becomes a problem with folks who don't have a ton of varying terrain, and it becomes a problem with folks that have too much variance in their terrain. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, if you're a cyclist that lives in the Midwest, say you live in Kansas, it's flat in Kansas, right? You don't have climbs in Kansas. You don't have five, six, seven percent grades that go on for three, five, eight, ten, twelve minutes, right? You have highway overpasses, which might take you five, six, seven, ten seconds to get over. Those of you who live in really, really hilly, sharp areas, you may not have climbs that afford you the ability to perform VO2 max intervals. You may be going into your, slipping into your zone six power zones just to get over some of the climbs in your area. So outdoors, you have a big problem. You're beholden to the terrain around you. So let's talk about a quick example. You can go out, you find a climb that allows you to do VO2 max intervals in the range of three minutes. If you're following conventional wisdom, you're following conventional testing, you haven't tested your VO2 max, your three minute VO2 max power specifically, and you're just going off of a, an estimate or a summization or whatever, a supposition, you're going to be looking for considering, I don't know, maybe 120% of your functional threshold power for about three minutes. The problem with a climb outdoors is you're not going to be able to hit that 120% power and hold it specifically. You're going to be looking to average that 120% of your functional threshold power, and you're going to ignore the variability of the climb. What that means is that you're going to have peaks, might be 130%, 140%. You're going to have valleys. You're going to have softer slopes that might get you 105%, 110%. The ultimate goal outdoors will simply be to average 120% for around that three minutes. It might be three minutes. It might be two minutes and 40 seconds. It might be three and a half minutes. It all depends on how fast you ride it and how much you push 
that climb. Whereas indoors on a trainer, you can very specifically set a three minute interval. I mean, it's you hit your button, you hit your lap button, tick, and then you start riding at 120% of your threshold for three minutes. And then after that three minute mark, you just hit the button again and you're done. Then you recover. Variability for an interval like that should be almost minimal. So it should be as close to a true VO2 max interval as your legs will allow. In terms of physiology, this is a very, very, very drilled down specific kind of training. Now, you're probably asking, but wait a minute. In the past, you've said that variability is a good thing. You know, being able to change the amount of power you put out or when you put it out or things like that. True. That's also very true. Being able to vary your cadence, your speed, your power, whether you sit, whether you stand, all those things come out and they're very important. But if you're looking purely to build physiological fitness, trainer's a great place to do it. All right? Additionally, you can find a lot of value indoors by eliminating a lot of the extra junk time in between intervals. Now, this comes out very frequently when people talk about hill repeats. And I'll be honest, hill repeats are not a favorite workout of mine. They're not a favorite workout for me to prescribe to a lot of riders. Some riders do extremely well with them. Sometimes it's very necessary, especially if you're looking at a race where hill climbing is going to be integral to the success of the riders in the race. But let's take hill climbing intervals just as an example. You go out, you find that three-ish minute VO2 climb. Now, once you get to the top of that climb, you have to turn around and roll back down to the base of the climb. That might be two minutes, it might be a minute, it might be four minutes, it might be five minutes. You might take a loop. If you do a loop, you probably have six, seven, eight minutes after the fact that you have to work with. Now, compared to indoors, where you're actually very, very specifically controlling your workouts, you don't have that variable recovery time in between intervals. So you can cut that potentially long ride into a very concentrated, short and specific effort. So imagine you're riding outside and going from climb to climb. So imagine you're actually doing a specific loop where you have three or four climbs on it. Each one takes you four to five minutes. If there's 10 minutes in between each climb, you have two things happening here. One, you're fully recovering in between, so you're not getting the true effect of VO2 max training in those kind of efforts. And number two, you might be adding an additional 30 to 40 minutes to your workout. So if you're doing, say, four, five-minute climbs, you're doing 20 minutes worth of work, you could be doing 20 minutes worth of work plus 40 minutes worth of time in between plus 25 or 30 minutes of work just to get to the route that you're riding. That adds up. And granted, saddle time is not necessarily a bad thing, but if you're time pressed or you're really looking to hit very specific physiological adaptations indoors, you can select the intervals, you can select the rest intervals, and then you can just simply execute them. Now, this is a great way to use the Zwift Workout Builder because the Zwift Workout Builder 
will basically give you everything you need. It'll tell you, are you on target? How much longer? How much do you need to put in? And of course, if for some bizarre reason you can't handle it, you can always change the intensities, you can change things up, and you can switch down assuming you're having a bad day. So it's a really nice tool to be able to build an efficient, solid workout in about an hour. The same workout performed outside could be twice as long. And benefit-wise, are you going to get more out of it? You might get more training stress out of it, but are you going to get more physiological benefit? That's debatable. So with those in mind, with the increase in specificity and the ability to control your environment in mind, what kind of intervals would I recommend you do to get the most out of your indoor cycling training, your trainer time? Well, because it's so specific that indoor training requires direction. I can't tell you how many people have said, I don't like indoor training. I don't like riding on the trainer because I just get on the trainer and I can't manage to keep myself focused. I get on and I try to ride and just riding is not fun. <laughs> well, no shit. <laughs> I, I hate to be that blunt, but just riding on an indoor trainer with no specific goal is incredibly boring and I can understand why people hate doing it. Jumping on that trainer and noodling along is going to get you nowhere. So your best bet is to actually specifically set interval workouts and execute those workouts and those workouts alone. By executing those workouts, you keep yourself focused, you have an end goal in sight and a set time limit that you're riding within. And not only does it help you to actually plan your workouts and plan your time, but it also helps you to plan your physiological adaptations. So let's get into workouts. What are my favorite workouts on the trainer? What are the workouts that I use on the trainer? Let me tell you, one of my favorite workouts on the trainer is the Sweet Spot Special Workout. Now, I've talked about sweet spot training a lot in the past, and I do mean a lot in the past. It's that tiny band in your physiology and that functional threshold spectrum between about 90 and 95% of your threshold. It is a spot where your body is primarily aerobic. There's a little touch of anaerobic built into it, but you get the biggest benefit in terms of increasing blood volume, increasing stroke volume, increasing aerobic enzyme adaptation, increasing oxygen transport capacity, etc., 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 right? You can perform tons and tons and tons of sweet spot training without burning yourself out, which is absolutely phenomenally good for indoor training. And because it's such a specific specific directed amount of power, directed power band. Indoor training is the perfect place for this. Now, the other thing that I love about sweet spot training is how adaptable it can be. You can basically do a straight sweet spot workout, or you can add all kinds of crazy, crazy adaptations to that workout. So let's take an example. My favorite sweet spot workout is a simple two by 20 minute block. So I'll take two minutes, uh, two blocks, 20 minutes each at about 91, 92% of functional threshold with about eight to 10 minutes of rest in between. So that's a perfect workout in itself. 40 minutes of work, 
eight to 10 minutes of rest in between, five minutes to warm up, five minutes to cool down, bang on a little bit more than an hour, right? Now, if you really want to add some fun to it, you can change a whole lot of things to it. You can do that sweet spot work at muscular endurance, pedal tension, and cadence. So you could do muscular endurance sweet spot, you know, 70 RPM, 91, 92% of threshold. You can do high cadence sweet spot, 100, 110 RPM at sweet spot gearing. You can do standing drills, two minutes up, two minutes in the saddle at sweet spot. You can do drills where you're putting yourself in the drops for two, three, four, five, ten 10 minutes at a time at sweet spot intensity. These are all ways that you can create additional adaptations. And they're almost bonus adaptations in this case. Because what you're intentionally trying to do is work that sweet spot training zone. You're trying to work that 91% of threshold zone. So if you can add extra to it, why not? Additionally, 2x20s become very boring indoors. Even sitting on Zwift, if you're using the Zwift Workout Builder, yeah, you're not getting any changes in terrain based on the workout, right? If you're going up a climb on Zwift, say you're going, you're on Watopia in Zwift and you're going up that long climb, there's no change in trainer resistance in this case. If you're using the Workout Builder, it's going to set that, that intensity and it's going to keep it there. So it gets boring by adding things to it going from 70 RPM to 110 RPM for one block to the next, sitting, standing, altering, uh, altering sitting and standing, going from on the hoods to on the drops to on the tops. Those are all ways to keep yourself interested and keep yourself engaged in your training. So sweet spot, 2x20, 3x20, 2x30, whatever you want to do, whatever you have time for, plus all the additions that you can add to it. Number two, the second set of intervals that I love to add to my indoor training are those cycling fundamentals that I continually talk about, those neuromuscular skills. Those neuromuscular skills are really the key to increasing your efficiency. And that's one of the things that indoor training is great for, is increasing your efficiency. Because you have such control over almost every aspect of your training indoors, Efficiency training is absolutely one of the things you can work on. What do I mean by efficiency training? You simply want to decrease the amount of energy needed to maintain the same speed. So if you're riding at 20 miles per hour and it costs you 200 watts to ride at 20 miles per hour, if you can raise your efficiency by one or two percentage points, it may only cost you 190 or 185 watts to ride at 20 miles per hour. Thusly, if you keep that threshold at 200 watts, for example, now you might be riding 20 and a half miles per hour. You follow? So efficiency work on the indoor trainer is a great, great tool. It's also a great place to do it because it's safe, feasibly. <laughs> I have to say feasibly because I've seen people try to do single leg drills on rollers in the past and that has ended in disaster. <laughs> so in this case, we're basically talking about stationary trainers, not necessarily rollers. Although, although you can do super spins and 
spin ups and spin downs and single leg drills on the rollers. It happens to be much easier to do using a fixed gear bike, like a track bike. But in most cases, I would recommend you're probably going to want to be doing these on a fixed trainer. So what are we talking about here? We're talking super spin work. We're talking single leg drills. We're talking low cadence control work. So that would be low cadence with low gear tension, uh, really trying to control that tension throughout the pedal stroke so that you can get used to maybe a lower gearing. Uh, standing drills, standing at a higher cadence to try and get used to keeping your legs spinning around in a different position. Muscular endurance type training, those big gears, pushing those big gears and keeping a nice even tension throughout the pedal stroke. Even sprint training. And now by sprint training, I'm not talking about those all out sprints. We'll talk about those in just a second. I'm talking about what's called a form sprint. So <clears throat> looking at a gear like a 5318, 53-19, 53-23. So something that will allow you to really turn your legs over quick. Get out of the saddle, hands in the drops, and really practice that sprint form, right? Those are all fundamental workouts that you can do on the trainer that really will change and help and increase the efficiency you have when you jump outside. And you can build those into your sweet spot day. You can build those into a functional threshold day. Hell, you can even build those into a recovery day. Nothing says these intervals have to be super intense. They just have to be very precise. And that's what the key for indoor training is, is precision. Now, I just talked about sprint intervals, high intensity sprint intervals. That's the third interval that I love to add to my indoor training. In fact, these are the intervals that generally will keep you as focused as possible on any and all of these workouts. Now, I've got tons of posts on high-intensity interval training. I've built hundreds of training programs based on high-intensity interval training. All right, It's one of the fundamentals to pretty much all of the coaching philosophy that I use. That <clears throat> studies will show you, if you train at a high intensity, you will get high-intensity gains, and you will get lower-intensity aerobic gains alongside of it. All right. There's a lot of research done on it. It's what fartlek training is. It's, there's a whole ton of stuff built into this. But why is it so good inside? Again, indoor training is repeatable and controllable. Right. It's the perfect place to execute these interval days because the amount of control you have over the intensity, the duration, and the environment makes them repeatable and specific. I know I keep harping on repeatable and specific, but that is the key to interval training. Now, my favorite kinds of high intensity intervals are simply repeat intervals. Workouts like a nine by three minute VO2 max interval, a five by five minute VO2 max, a three by eight minute VO2 max interval, Tabata intervals, sprint intervals. These are all my choices for short duration training. Nine by three minute VO2s, any of those repeatable efforts are designed to really wear down your anaerobic work capacity. The amount of glycogen that you have in your, your, in your body, the amount of anaerobic energy you have at your disposal. The more you wear that down, the more you crush that and drain it out of your body before you start training again, 
the more you're going to get actual aerobic adaptations. So for example, I've done posts about anaerobic work capacity, uh, W prime and W prime workouts. These are workouts which are basically designed to deplete you to the point where your body is forced to adapt its true VO2 max system and raise your VO2 max, all right, to truly raise your VO2 max, all right? So those are going to be your Tabata type intervals, your 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off, your 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, your three minute VO2 max on with three minutes of rest in between. Those are going to be the specific intervals which are going to help improve that. Now, the other thing you can do with these high intensity intervals is you can add neuromuscular training to them. You can add that <clears throat> cycling fundamentals. You can, you know, that training is a great companion to these high intensity interval trainings. So if you're doing like nine by three minute VO2 work, you can turn those three minute VO2 efforts into climbing endurance intervals. So the three minute interval out of the saddle, recover in the saddle, three minutes out of the saddle, recover in the saddle. You can take those Tabata type intervals. Say you're doing 30 seconds on and 30 seconds off. You can make those a neuromuscular training high intensity interval or a neuromuscular high intensity interval by simply using your cadence, using your leg speed to get into that anaerobic work interval. So if you're pedaling along at 90 RPM and you're in a recovery zone or position, say you're at about 80% of your threshold, you're going to spin that gear up to 130% of your threshold for 30 seconds and then spin it back down to rest for 30 seconds, All right? So adding neuromuscular conditioning to your high-intensity training is a great combination on the trainer. Double duty and very specific. All right, so finally, we're going to talk about taking that indoor training outdoors. Now, most of you have very little desire to ride inside. I realize that. Most of you know that indoor training on the trainer is sort of a necessary evil. I remind you again, it is worth saying that it is one of the best values for your training time because it is so specific, it's so repeatable, and you can drill down a long, long ride and a long workout into a very short compressed block. Problem here is, and this has become a problem more so with Zwift in the last couple of years, is that you do need to take your training out onto real roads at some point. Once you spend a bunch of time training indoors, on the trainer, on the rollers, you're learning to handle a variety of intervals. Now you have the base and the foundation to take that training outside and apply those concepts to the roads that you're riding. See, the fitness that you build indoors, the physiological conditioning that you build indoors will easily translate to outside. You just have to remember that the outdoors is not as specific or as controllable. So at some point when you're going out and you're trying to do those three minute VO2 max intervals, and suddenly you're, you're looking at your data after the fact and you're saying, geez, this, this looks choppy, it looks janky, it doesn't look right, I'm not hitting my numbers as well as I should. Do not be surprised. Just remember, it's not as specific, it's not as controllable, right? 
Thank you all for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the support. Remember, ride strong, ride safe, ride happy. Take your training to the next level by really taking these concepts and throwing them into your training program. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me at coachrobdc at gmail.com. Keep the shiny side up, keep the rubber side down, and I'm going to be talking to you all again really, really soon.